0: back to the Has been who podcast brought to you by hoop city if you'd like to find your nearest location to raise your game visit the team at hoopcity.com.au were though a massive week for you you've just come back from airs rock with dana
1: tell us about the week yeah first time in airs rock uh and it was a from when we recorded this on a tuesday afternoon this was uh, a week ago i proposed to dana and she said, holy shit, and then it took a little bit of time and said yes. So the answer was holy shit? Yep. Okay. Holy shit, and then I think yes was next. Um, but yeah, no, we've been together for quite some time now. Um, obviously, a fantastic person, otherwise I wouldn't be with her in the first place, and uh, you've, you've met her a couple times now, and um, yeah, really, really happy.
0: Well, it was interesting. We, we, we joked about it sort of for so long that we, uh, used, we were seeing her through COVID and normally we would have had 150,000 catch-ups by then, but it took me, what, two and a half years before I actually met her and figured out she was real. And we went down and watched uh, a West Coast Eagles team play against the Hawthorne Footy Club. And we took a few friends down. We took and the guru, down. And we thought, this will be good. We'll catch up with Dana after the game. They are up. And fell in a hole. And it was one of those games where you knew that uh, the team was going to be, or the coach was going to be no good after the game. And we'd agreed to meet at the race. I know you know this story, but I still think it's funny. Um, As she was trudging off, she's kind of looked up and probably figured I was the tall one she was meant to look out for. And through all the people on the side of the race, just bashed her way through with her head down, gave everybody a hug. We're like, you're about to get reamed, aren't you? She's like, yep, Mike. Nice to see you for four seconds, we'll do it again. And that was literally all we said. So uh it took us a few more months to uh to catch up again, but no, nah, really excited for you, mate. I know everyone is and we're coming across to Perth in a in a
1: month or so if for you're fortieth, so we'll uh we'll make sure we have a few extras to celebrate. I think that would be the first time we do a, a podcast side by side where we can actually yeah, fantastic idea. And we'll do it at a pub as well. But enough about me and, and what's happening. What about you? NBA tours? You well, know, yes. Um, well, it turns out we were chatting off air about I've been
0: trying to figure out ways to promote some of the events we're doing. And then I remembered we, we did a podcast. Uh, no, we have our, uh, our NBA finals event in Melbourne uh, at Marvel Stadium at, uh, on June. Uh, well, I should know the date. Should I? No, June. June the 2nd with Luke Longley uh, we we're able to convince Luke to come down and say a few words and mingle and, and spend some time watching uh game, one of the NBA finals, which we'll dig into who we think will be there. But I think whichever two teams get there, it's going to be a fantastic story. And we're running the NBA tours back. We've, uh, last two, the, the, the two, the two tours last year were fantastic. We, uh, we had a lot of fun. We opened a lot of doors and we've got two groups who still keep in touch. And, uh, Done a lot of business together. It was a nice little uh value add that everyone seems to be working together, but um we'll mention it again at the end of the at the end of the pod, but forward slash tours for the tour. Chris forward slash events for the Luke Longley NBA event. Um, before we get on to the NBA, one other thing that's big in both of our worlds and probably the reason we we got together and decided to do this and then in fact named it has been Hoop's podcast was our has been for and uh we're getting together and you're you're missing. Uh you're you're gonna be a DNP probably B D boss's decision uh in Cavs. Next week we go up and try to defend our title at the uh, Great Barrier Reef
1: Masters games with one of the boys. Um I don't think you for, I, don't think uh, I don't think it's a boss's I don't think it was boss's decision. Uh, it's probably that is probably coach's decision, but you're I, NBL 1, George? I was about to say, um, while the NBL has done a really good job of building a pathway to the NBL through the NBL 1 system and all that, I'm starting my own pathway from vets back to an NBL 1 pathway. And uh, I figured there's only a couple of people that could do it, but I'm opening up that door that there is a pathway back to NBL 1 for people that do play in the the Masters League. So... um, I'll be playing NBL One that weekend, unfortunately, and I'll, I'll be missing this tour. But the one thing I do know is the trip to Cairns is always an enjoyable one, and I'm sure the guys will have a great time up there.
0: Firstly, close that door. You're the only one that's going to happen for. Um, <laughs> 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 i tell you what has been bad the last couple of months. We've, we've been down in Hoop City. They've given us a court... Uh, For an hour and a half run for the last few weeks, and there's a lot of half court and it it hurts and it takes longer. It takes a long time to recover when we go, we'll call it full court, but it's probably half to three quarter pace. And uh, that three point line's not in danger of getting broken too many times on either end of the floor. Anyway, um, let's talk some NBA. I want to start with Jock Landale. And the DeAndre Ayton, the Suns being eliminated by the Denver Nuggets. We both picked, I think you picked the Denver Nuggets to win this thing. So there's a little bit to talk about with them, but we'll we'll, we'll deal with the Suns for now. I want to throw some stats at you. Jock Landau didn't play much in the first two games. DeAndre Ayton was struggling and similar to last year, he doesn't seem to be in the good books. Here are what plus plus-minus stats, and I know they're not everything, but their, uh, their actual stats were the same. In Game 3, Jock Landale played 22 minutes and was plus 10. John Dre and played the other 26 minutes and was minus 4. They won. Massive difference, 14-point difference between the two. Game 4, Jock Landale plus 16 in 20 minutes, which by any measurement is an incredible 20 minutes of basketball. In 27 minutes, DeAndre Ayton was minus 13, and they won that game. For some inexplicable reason, uh, the Suns decided, well, it turns out he doesn't have a job anymore. So in game five, Jock Landale's minutes decreased after those two impressive games. He only played 16 minutes and was still plus five in a big loss. Uh, DeAndre Ayton minus 19 in 33 minutes. And in game six, of course, John Rayton didn't play. They got blown out. Their rotations were, were all over the place. But Jock Landale was really, really solid and could hold his head high in a blowout loss. Um, talk to us about Jock Landale, where, where he, what he's doing, his improvement. Um, how do you see his offseason? I
1: actually see it as a comparison to what Aaron Baines did when he left San Antonio. And the reason I say that is when he was in San Antonio, there was a value for him as a backup center that set great screens, ran rim to rim really hard, uh, was a defensive presence, uh, and just, he, he did a lot without having to do a lot. And what we saw from Jock Landau, A, he was playing arguably against the best player in the world at the moment, being the, uh, the joker. Um, but he brought a level of physicality that DeAndre Ayton didn't. Uh, I also thought that he ran the lanes really, really hard, and I I think that's something that you can speak to as a big that's been in the NBA of how valuable that is to find someone that is just willing to run, not knowing if you're going to get a touch or not, but he put himself in the right position, and when when he did do that, it dragged the defense down to leave Booker and KD more open, not just for the three-point shot, but to get into the teeth of the defense with their penetration, especially Booker with his mid-range game. Where does that leave him? I don't don't know. Because I look at DeAndre Ayton, similar to Chris Paul now, where come finals time, I just don't trust him. Uh, Chris Paul, I don't trust because of injury. DeAndre Ayton, I don't trust because he's proven when he comes to... Let's assume those two are not there
0: which the strong rumour is neither of them will be returning. There are various rumours going around. My, My hope is that he stays. And similar, you mentioned Aaron Baines, I'll mention Matthew Delavidova. I think there are a lot of players in the NBA who have really solid seasons. Some have great seasons and chase a little extra money, which is their right, but don't understand, don't truly understand the value of playing alongside a superstar or two that allows them to just be, when I say just inverted commas, to just be a role player. And that's exactly what Jock can develop into in the NBA. And it sounds crazy to say that Nikola Jokic may very well have been the perfect matchup for him. There was zero expectation. He wasn't going to get beat with foot speed, which is one of the areas Jock still has some some work to do. And... When the playoffs rolled around, everybody in the world knew that Kevin Durant and Devin Book were going to shoot the ball. So there was very little responsibility on the offensive end. And Jock is a very good positional player at both ends of the floor. So it's worked out really well for him. My hope is that he stays. And if he doesn't, you know, similar to Dalio, I hope he goes and places himself next to another superstar where he's allowed. Uh, to succeed in whatever role it is they give him and it'd be a complimentary role.
1: Uh, I couldn't agree with you more and I'd love for him to stay there as well. I think at the end of the day, if you can position yourself next to those two stars and let, let's face it, Phoenix's uh, biggest kryptonite throughout this was their lack of depth. Um, so if you could trade pieces for a Chris Paul and DeAndre and be able to bring in more uh value and depth to your team like i think we said it in the the podcast with mo like if you're relying on landry shamit to play more than two minutes i don't think you're an actual genuine title contender at the end of the day um but what jock did was just put himself in a great position going forward into free agency to make a decision of where he wants to play as well and hopefully i'd like him to stay in phoenix but if he goes elsewhere he gets that same opportunity to be that uh, rim running big uh, rebounder, defensive, physical presence. And you know what? He made me feel just that little bit better about what he's capable of doing with the Boomers going forward as well. Well, I'm spot on.
0: Now, the other big news to come out of this series the last 48 hours was that uh, Coach Monty Woodworth got fired. Um, we we had now look. We don't promote this podcast widely. We love everybody who listens, and we'll get around to telling more people around the top about it next year. But um, our mate Dan Ewing up in Sydney's uh, sent through his whistler question, and it, uh, we could not have asked a better question. I'll, I'll let you go with your reply. Is firing Coach Monty Williams the most bonehead, knee-jerk coach firing in the last few years? Is the owner trying to swing his dick? I love the I love the move Ishbia made for KD, but my, for KD. But my goodness, two starters out. Coaches are often scapegoats, but damn. Now take into account Monty Williams last year coached the Suns to the best record in the NBA, won Coach of the Year. Uh, didn't have a lot of time with KD this year. Um, first of all, thanks to Dan Ewing, mate. We appreciate you listening. But were there your thoughts?
1: Well, my, my response to this was hard to justify when KD only had eight regular season games to gel with the team. CP3, another injury in postseason and lack of bench depth isn't Monty's fault. He can only deal with the hand that he's been dealt with to him. So I'm sure one team's trash is another team's treasure that in the last 24 hours has turned out to be Milwaukee that have expressed interest. Look, as an owner... You can go two ways. You can keep things the same, or you can make a change. Now, the first change they made was to bring in KD, as Dan said, which I think everyone goes, "Wow!" Having KD and Booker side by side on a wing is pretty damn impressive. And for another three years to the might
0: it might be two, but for another three years as well. So, yep, yeah, we give him a tick for that.
1: Yep. Um, on the surface, I think it it's harsh to fire Monty Williams. And then the more more I thought about it is, maybe they do need a change. Maybe, maybe you know, there's a lot to say about having some continuity in what you're doing. And and we've seen uh, in AFL circles, how that has worked to a lot of- But uh, who needs to change? There's been such high turnover.
0: If they'd have the same roster, I mean, who needs to change?
1: Well. Oh. And this is a hard thing. Only time will tell if this is the right play or not. And it all dependent on who they've, they've come out and said that they want to try and take Ty Lou from the Clippers. I don't know if that's the right answer going forward either. I think where most of us sit in the basketball circle is we know that Motti is a great man. Right. And maybe our judgment is being clouded by us thinking that he's a great man, but some of his decisions, like playing DeAndre Ayton a ton more minutes in Game Five, made zero sense to me on on reflection. So, this will be a time will tell situation. But one thing I know is Monty will get picked up by another team ASAP. Absolutely really good. He's got of every. Other what did what, you what What did you think of it? I thought the same
0: was hard. If he'd had the same, if he'd had the same core now for four years, maybe. And if they, if they were eliminated at the same time and they couldn't, but they've just turned over the entire roster and never gave him a chance to work with it. I don't know how Monty Williams coaches Kevin Durant. We we never really got the chance to figure that. out. I thought at the very least, he deserved the right with how successful he'd been at that club. To the absolute very least, get his teeth in the next season and see if the relationship with Durant, Booker, and Monty Williams with the benefit of adding some pieces in the offseason that they couldn't get in the trade work. Uh, so interestingly enough, it turns out, and I read this one online, was that every single coach with the best record in the NBA for the last six seasons is no longer with the team that they had the best the best record with, which is crazy. So looking back, the Bucks. Well, here we go, Monty Williams, Budenizer, DeAntoni, and Quinn Steiner. So the teams with the best record the last six have been the Bucs, the Suns, the Jazz, Bucks twice again, and the, and the Houston Rockets. Neither none of those teams have the coach that led them to the best record in the NBA as we sit here today, which is crazy to me. Um, another little small one, and I know you love Mark Jackson, and we'll give ourselves a, maybe a little bit of a pat on the back for the Nikola Jokic opinions that we had, but Mark Jackson's actually come out and admitted that he made a mistake by not voting for Nikola Jokic as MVP. He went, went public, admitted he made up. He says with an honest mistake, but maybe he's starting to see some things that more people have seen uh,
1: for a lot longer than what he has, clearly. Did you see Bogart's tweet responding to that just out of curiosity? I didn't. Maybe just question his motive behind leaving him off. I found that interesting.
0: We'll go for it. I'm sure he won't mind you sharing.
1: Um, I'd have to find it. I, I'd, I'd, I noticed it, and I don't want to not say what he he said, but yeah, I I don't. I think he was just suggesting that maybe it wasn't intentional. At the other okay. day, um, but it, I think we both agree it's just a bullshit narrative game now, and it's not actually the best player because if you look at the best player over the final series. Um, and it is a during- season award. We know that. Yeah.
0: Anyway, let, let's not back up over that. Let's, let's change tact and uh, talk about the New York mix. Um, and we've mentioned a bunch of times that there's a level of emotional attachment, you know, with Leon Rose being the president and having seen, you know, half a dozen games of theirs earlier on in the year. And my overriding opinion is that they've, Absolutely improved out of sight this year. They've overachieved with the roster that they had. Jalen Brunson has been incredible. Julius Randle got back to somewhere near the form he had two years ago. But thirteen All NBA. Julius Randle. Yeah. And here's the problem.
1: I I can't take him. Did we did we not talk about this a couple weeks like a couple months ago? But
0: the more I watched, when it really really mattered. And and the same rings true for a couple of other high-profile players. He cannot play without the ball in his hands. He will not cut. He will not move into space. Every single time, and not most times, every single time, the ball hits his hand, the ball dies. So even in the moments when they have good ball movement, it hits his hands. He will never catch and shoot it immediately. He'll yo-yo, he'll jab step, and then he'll shoot. You'll never drive it immediately. It takes time. You'll certainly never pass it immediately. So any movement that the Knicks have before it hits his hands is wasted, and it just becomes ISO one on one. And he's not Kevin Durant. You look in again. Everybody here knows we listen to Bill Simmons. Yeah, you know, the body, his body language is terrible. He, he's, he seems to play at half pace. He seems to play better when he's in front. He seems to more when they're winning and then his throwaway line when they were eliminated was maybe Miami Heat, sorry, before they were eliminated, before game six, maybe the Miami Heat wanted more than us. What's that? Yeah, was, for me, there are a lot, a lot of red flags with, with Julius Randle and my hope is that they find... Even if it's a Carl Anthony Towns or there's a rumour about I said it's not going to be straight up, they'll give away a lot, but I'll tell you what, I would I would straight up trade Julius Randle for Carl Anthony Towns and maybe even give a little bit more back. And I think they would be in a better place.
1: I remember one of our early podcasts we talked about Julius Randle and I said that is absolute fool's gold. He's like thinking that you've got a Jordan rookie card, but finding out it's not Michael Jordan's rookie card, it's Jordan Poole's rookie card that you've got. At the end of the day um and the two responses between what you said of what julius randall said of uh, maybe they wanted more versus a jalen brunson response of we've got to get better and specifically i need to be better for us to win this series is a look into the leadership of the two most high profile players on that next team you had your third team all nba player saying they wanted more and you've got the guy that the Knicks didn't even know that they needed uh, when they traded for. Well, the, obviously Leon Rose knew what he was trading for, but the rest of the NBA um, universe was like, you missed out on Donovan Mitchell, yada, yada, yada. Uh, this is why Jalen Brunson is a winner in general. Uh, and he's only going to get better at this stage. And he put in some great performances in this playoff series as well. Couldn't agree more. Piss off Julius Randle. Go get someone like a Carl, and, and it's hard to say even Carl Anthony Towns because I hate that fucker too, and I'm just letting my emotions come out right now.
0: You know what style of play, he's a perimeter big, he's more size. Yeah, it's, I still think it's an upgrade. It's not the, It's not ideal, but it's an upgrade. I'm fascinated think- with what they do. You know the interesting but before you finish? Jalen Brunson knows that he's not a number one guy in a championship team. That's the difference. He knows he needs the number one guy to win a championship. He's egoless, which is such a rare thing in the NBA to be on a big salary. Everybody in New York knows it's his team. Perhaps, and I think in in his heart of hearts, he knows too. It's not Julius team. It's Jalen Brunson's team, and he knows that he needs a, a wingman. He knows he needs a number one guy if they're to be legitimate.
1: Yeah, I, I would like to see a, another blue-collar hard worker. I mean, you, you see the Knicks fans, that they just crave it. Like, they love Jalen Brunson now. They love Josh Hart, the way that he came in and did. we? They liked Hartenstein, the way that he just competed, uh, even though he was down on talent versus some of the, the guys on the Miami team. He competed at least, and the, the crowd ate it up. Julius Randle doesn't fit that mold. He's not blue-collar. He's, yeah.
0: So congratulations to the Miami Heat and and to Jimmy Butler. We've spoken up late about them. We'll leave them into our next podcast. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's going to be fascinating. That Zombie Heat versus the Boston Celtics is going to be fun. And the Celtics are there. They, oh, Philadelphia, if they're ever going to have a chance with Joel Embiid to win one, you would have thought it was opening up for them this year. They had the chance to close out at home. They're up in the fourth, and they went to shit. And and it all seemed too hard. Again, body language, and I mentioned the two high-profile guys. Guys, talk about two guys who can't play without the ball. Joel Embiid and James Harden, you watch them when they're on the floor together. They just stand until they catch the ball. Unless uh, unless MB's jogging to set a screen or or short rolling. Doc can is I gonna can I
1: ask you? Do it's you, hard, I, hard do you blame, why? Do you blame Embiid? Do you blame Harden or do you blame Doc Rivers?
0: I don't know. I don't. I'm not in the walls, but it's. I, I think part of it. When you look at it, I mean, or, or do you blame the people who put the roster together that your two stars are slow so and can't know. play with pace? And for whatever people say about Joel Embiid defensively, we, we know Harden can't defend. Embiid can, but he doesn't. He picks and chooses his times, and there are a lot of possessions he takes off. So you've got your two superstars who are reluctant defenders or part-time defenders, and then you've got, I love Tyrese Maxey. He busts his ass. I think he is an absolute superstar and someone they need to keep. But can you imagine a guy like that, how how quick he plays, how much effort he puts in? The, the games, Harden or MB misses, Philly were better. Together, no good. Doc Rivers, I don't know, he, he, it seems to follow. He doesn't seem to be able to close out series. He's lost more game sevens than most coaches in NBA history. Um, game six was brutal. And then they're in it. They couldn't stop Jason Tatum in the third quarter in game seven.
1: Uh, I, I, I look at it and I think it's widely renowned that in NBA circles that most people know that Doc Rivers can't coach. And when I watch Philadelphia, I watch the pace and they look different when Maxie decides, you know, stuff it, I'm going to put my head down and get on the rim a couple of times and see how we how we go. And they look a lot different and a lot better when they're like that. What I struggle to do as a basketball viewer and someone that I believe has a bit of basketball IQ when it comes to this game is yes. your offense, Your offense runs to a guy that stands at the free-throw line. Instead of having some sort of movement to get him into the free-throw line, to loosen up the defense, to allow him to go his one-on-one move, because footwork-wise, outside of the uh, uh, Jokic, there's not too many better. But when you just stand there, put your hand out, and your whole offense is to get the guy, the ball at the free-throw line, off one pass and see what he can do. I don't know if that's ever going to be successful at any level, no matter who that player is, let alone the Absolutely. MVP.
0: So yeah, the, the, the times that he short rolls into there and actually does lose, the ball dies. So he loses every bit of advantage that he had, his defender recovers. And then every other defender jumps and puts a foot just on the lane line and helps, and he can't play in space. It's, yeah, we, we didn't see him on the block nearly enough. He, he'd but he didn't he was reluctant to shoot the perimeter shot. It was just a one trick pony. There, there was no plan B. Yeah, they- anyway, they're down. Up to now now can we mention really, really briefly your thoughts on Ben Simmons's tweet? The photo of him with the, the bottle of wine and the, the Boston Celtics winning game seven on in the background. Did we did we see that? It's the first thing he's put up in a long time.
1: That was interesting. But it was a thing. A, some, a, some scars haven't healed yet, I suppose. It's a thing that happened. That's all I got. Um, speaking of the heat being a,
0: an incredible story, we were like everybody else. How many times did we write the Lakers off? Um, a lot of credit's got to go to the people who put the team together. Rob polinka has gone and fixed what he broke. So good luck to him. Um Steph Curry was Steph Curry, didn't shoot the ball as well as he probably has. Okay, a couple of points stood out to me, and, and again, we'll talk about the Lakers next time, but for the Warriors, and there's a lot of talk about what they do. The the game that, that Lonnie Walker got rolling in the fourth quarter, Clay Thompson was guarding him primarily. He was his primary defender. And alongside Lonnie Walker keeping the Lakers in the game and turned out to win the game, Steph Curry was playing great. Some of the choices that Clay Thompson made down the stretch in that game, almost because he needed to get one back at Lonnie Walker, were horrible. There, there was a shot that just sticks in my mind. It was a wing three in front of the bench. Steph Curry had just made two or three in a row. Everybody in the world knew that Steph Curry should have had the ball in his hands the next possession. And Clay Thompson takes a one dribble step back three because he felt it was his turn. I'm not going to question his shot selection over the years, because clearly he's one of the greatest shooters of all time. But he's not what he was. That that, that stood out. So it'll be interesting to see what one of the see how one of the greatest clubs in the last couple of decades at least handles one of their greats who delivered them four championships. But the big one for me and I'll let you comment on both. I I, I didn't really mention it at the time, but when the Warriors won the championship last year, there's video footage, and this is the stuff that shits me. There's video of Jordan Poole. We're about to get the bag. We're about to get paid. We're about to cash in, and in the moment when they should be celebrating the group, the team, the achievement, The the forefront of their mind is we're about to get paid. And he did, and he went to shit. His priorities just seem as far out of kilter as Jar Your thoughts?
1: I've got one overriding thought that um, probably answers or responds to both the Clay Thompson thing and to the Jordan Poole thing. When the late uh, when the Warriors started this dynasty that they've built, it was built on three guys being Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and they were able to complement their team with vets that were willing to take less, but understood their role. Being a Livingston, Andre Iguodala, Mo Spates, etc. Yep. Now they're at a stage where they're. Steph, Clay, Draymond are all much older and the people that they're trying to fill in those roles because they're already old are the younger guys like your Kaminga, your Moses Moody and, and Jordan. This mission plan. Yep. Now those younger guys do not understand the sacrifice necessarily. They've won a championship, but they still don't understand the sacrifice required those guys like Livingston and all that that they put in to be able to make those three great. So they're in an interesting position going forward of do we play the younger guys more or do we ship the older guys out? Now I think as a basketball fan I'd love for them to all stay at the Warriors and whenever they decide that it's done they, they deserve that in a lot of ways but basketball has changed so much that Rarely does that happen now, that people get what they want or deserve as far as a basketball club because everything is ran as a business. We already know that Bob Myers is likely on the way out. Um, Whatever is, if he goes, Steve Kerr goes. Steve Kerr may go. What are they going to do with the contracts of Clay, Draymond? Obviously, they'll do everything they can to keep Steph, but... Besides that, like out of that three, Steph is the only one that you'd really want to keep. Possibly, you'd still want to keep the other two, but you'd be hoping to get a
0: club, a club friendly deal with the amount of money they're due to pay out already.
1: Correct. So, and and a huge luxury tax on top of that already. So, I think they found find themselves in an interesting position where they're now. Do we hold on because we believe our core can still win it? Or do we blow it all up and we will see the Warriors probably head straight back down the ladder like they were for the couple of years without Clay and all the other bodies that they were missing. So interesting times in the Warriors' land. It sure is. Hey, um,
0: any thoughts on Jar Morant or you want to leave that one alone?
1: Uh, yeah, he's an idiot.
0: That's a thought. That's You're spot on. Um the draft combines tomorrow where I'm, I'm gonna be watching with interest to see who gets the rights to pick the win Banyama. Um where would you like to
1: see him? Just real quick, where would you like to see him end up? Uh I don't care. I think I think honestly I, I couldn't give a shit. But going be, is it, I can't wait to watch him. I just hope he's injury free and stays. That, that was a, that was about to me my point. The the one thing that I know is when you've got gifted talented young players that are slight of frame the nba uh what you need to do to get to that level sometimes catches up and especially for young guys early if he can stay injury free that would be a blessing for all basketball watchers around the world um but it's going to be a watch that space because we haven't seen too much luck on that that front recently and you know what as much as I'm looking forward to watching him, I'm equally as excited to watch Chet Holgram next year as well.
0: There you go. That, that, how's that going to be for a matchup moving forward? That's, that's going to be an absolute ripper. Now it's time for our Hoot City Raise Your Game segment where we're going to nominate a player who's raised their game. And this we've narrowed down to three. We're not going to even mention anyone who needs to get it to Hoop City because it's NBA playoff time. So here are your nominations. worth that I'm going to let you choose LeBron James. He's taking his Lakers into the the Western Conference Finals. 25 points a game, nine rebounds, five and a half assists, including his 30 points, nine rebounds, nine assist elimination game against the Warriors to knock out the champions. Jason Tatum, 29 points per game in the Eastern Conference Semifinals, 11.1 rebounds, which was extraordinary. I thought that was something that went unsaid. Uh, Five assists, including his 51-point game, uh, seven against... Uh, the 76 of the, uh, the seventy to knock them out. Well, Nikola Jokic, thirty four and a half points per game, thirteen point two rebounds per game, ten point three assists per game. So he's averaged a triple double to eliminate the Phoenix Suns, including his 32, 10, and twelve game uh, as they blew out the Suns in the elimination. The yeah.
1: only stat, the only stat that you missed out is a good. Forearm shiver to a Phoenix Suns owner that deserved it at the time, so got it over the line. That that got it over. Like I couldn't give it to Tatum because that is one good game out of what I'd considered to be a poor series for him. I agree with you. Yeah, and LeBron LeBron has been great, but I think Anthony Davis playing at the level that he did helped the Lakers get across the line. Uh, Jokic did everything. For the Nuggets, and he he was sensational. And as much as Jock and DeAndre tried, uh, there's something special about that guy and how he plays his basketball. Um, and I thought he was outstanding through that whole series.
0: Well, Niko Jokic, we wouldn't it be great to say there's a Hoop City voucher in the mail
1: on its way to you and come in and cash in whenever you like? Hey, Chris, uh, um, just quickly, we, I, and I think we're about to wrap this up, but. No, we'll some more. Yeah. And going to the NBL just quickly, yeah. Chase Buford not well, coming back. We literally read that an hour before we jumped on,
0: and the Kings didn't take up his option. And you know what? We'd heard a little bit of, even after year one and winning a championship, they were a little bit uneasy, and a lot of it was behavioural. Um, as successful as the club's been, and as great as he's been for the club's success on the court. Yeah, there are, there are sponsors of that that behavior doesn't sit well with. There are kids watching the game it doesn't sit well with. Um, but the other part, and perhaps you know, the rumor is that Chase wanted his NBA outlaws and the Kings wanted exclusivity in the contract. That could very well have been the straw that broke the camel's back. But I'll tell you what, however Chase Buford is measured, for a coach to walk into any professional league in the world and win two championships in a row. And people often underestimate it's difficult to coach talented teams to championship for the egos attached. I think he's done a great job. Uh, he hasn't had an experienced assistant coaching staff alongside him while he was doing it. Um, whoever, a lot less years in the making, but whoever takes... His role, well, he's going to have very, very big shoes to fill as we found with the Perth Wildcats when Trevor Gleeson left. That was a tough one to replace and they missed. Whoever replaces Chase Buford, there's going to be a lot of pressure because that team and that city expect championships now.
1: Yeah. I'm still surprised by the decision. And I'm sure there will always be more stuff than the public is privy to when it comes to decisions like this. At the end of the day, do I think he'll be in the NBA next year? I do, at some way level. He'll be an assistant somewhere. He'll be an assistant somewhere, and you're right. Regardless of what it is, we should just celebrate the fact that this guy came in, won two championships, gave Sydney a championship that they they were dying for. not since Gorgian had they won a, a championship when they Gorgian did the three-peat. But they've been crying out and obviously their owners invested a lot of money to get Sydney back on the map where they were. Because Sydney, when they came back, let's face it, they were not good as a club at all. But they fill out stadiums now. They've won two championships in a row. Regardless of what is being floated out there, he did one hell of a job as a coach and he got the best out of some of his players. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. No, but I think we just got to... Sometimes it's easier to read into things and have a perception of what someone is, and obviously people will look at this and go, he's won two championships and they still don't want him regardless of the NBA out clause or not. And so they'll just automatically assume or jump to his behavioural, his attitude and all that sort of stuff. And we don't get to see that. Regardless of all that, hell of a job to come in for two years, hell of a job to win two championships and whatever he does next, I'm sure the NBL website and social media will be following him because they want to continue the succession plan of the NBL being a pathway for not only players but also coaches going forward.
0: One thing the Sydney Kings are and their ownership group is they're not shy to talk. So, I'll hope that I hope they come out and have a pretty frank conversation. That'd be a really, really fascinating one. Uh, what was fascinating was the Boomer Squad that was announced uh, last week. And I did give you a quick call to say, Congratulations to you and Dana while you're in Ayers Rock. But, uh, and we spent five minutes on it with Nathan Stremple, a very highly credentialed and highly respected basketball pundit. How are you, Nathan? You better be listening. You better hear this. It's Um, We're not giving him any more compliments if he's not. Um, Before we talk about who was in and who was included in the squad, your thoughts on Aaron Baines being excluded from the squad?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you look at the crop of bigs that are coming through. um, First off, we've got to acknowledge that Baines has done an amazing job for Australia over a long period of time now and uh, similar to what we were talking about with the Warriors sort of stuff, not everyone gets what they want and how they want to finish. And, and I'm sure Bainesy would have loved to have gone around one more time. Uh, I'm not even sure if he put his hand up for it or not. I'm not sure if. Yeah,
0: I believe he did. I believe he was pretty gutted that he didn't make it.
1: Yeah. And um, the one thing I'd say about Bainesy is he helped with that core as much as we talk about Paddy and Delhi. And Joe and all that, Baines has been a huge part of that as well, that progression to where they are now. Um, so I was disappointed for him, but then you look at the crop of bigs that we've got in there um, and what coming
0: through. Pinder, Maker, Reef.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in good hands going forward. And I think the, the ace in the hole is, uh, you know, if... Ben Simmons is healthy enough, and if he's available to play, he can play in that four spot a little bit more and make us a little bit more versatile uh, going forward.
0: I was surprised I, on face value when I heard he missed because of the culture piece and yeah, you know, in a similar light that Matthew Delivered over. I, I don't think Dellie's any chance of making that team, but he got picked in the squad. I just think having guys like Aaron Baines and Matthew over around the group when you are bringing the new guys in, especially if their heads in the right place, is really, really beneficial. I think I was surprised he didn't make the squad. I'm not sure he would have made the team, but I've always been a believer that some players are better suited to the international game than what they are in the NBL, or in fact, the NBA than what they are in the NBL. But I think Aaron Baines is one of them. I think he's his absolute strengths aren't rewarded in the NBL in the style of play. We won't dig into that, but internationally when all of a sudden you've got Josh Kiddie, Paddy Mills, Joe Ingalls, Josh, athletes around, you need that big body setting screens. You need someone who can compete with the monsters from Europe and South America. We've got Jock and we've just talked about how well he's done, but that other really big body, yeah, you know, Nick Kaye's not nearly as big as Aaron Baines. And
1: to what, is not as big as Aaron Baines? Well,
0: he doesn't protect the rim. I think Aaron Baines is still one of the best vertical rim protectors. Might not be shot blocking, but verticality around the rim that I've seen in a long time. And I thought he might have been given the chance, so that was surprising. Um, I'm going to read out the group and you tell me, and I think when I know when we, we chatted on the phone, we came up with the exact same theme, which surprised me. Um, here's the squad Josh Giddey Dante Exon Will McDowell White Matthew Delvedova Paddy Mills Dyson Daniels Chris Golding Joe Ingles Josh Green Matisse Eibel Jack White Duop Reith Xavier Cooks Jock Landale Mick Kaye Sam Froling Chano Pinder and Don Maker um, Ben Simmons not on that list we'll get to him last um,
1: you want me to go over the team because I've got a circle in front of me if you got on top of your head no, I was drinking at the stage. I just happened to land on the same team as you. So go ahead. If you've got... If you get it, we've got Josh Hitty, Dante Exum, Paddy
0: Mills, Dyson Daniels. As wings, we've got Joe Ingalls, Matisse Thibel, and Josh Green. Of course, they can swing into the, the two or the four as well. As as our four men, we've got Jack White, Breath. And as our bigs, we've got J- uh, Jock Landale and Nick Kane. Now... The players who've missed in that team from our early selection, Will McDowell White, who I think is actually closer than what a lot of people think, Matthew over; Chris Golding, um, with the emergence of Dyson Daniels and with the, the ability to run Paddy Mills off the ball with Josh Kitty in the team. And he's getting to that same age as Aaron Baines is. Xavier Cooks. Now, he's, he's a really, really interesting one. We, we haven't seen him internationally. He was MVP of the NBL. When you line him up against Jack White, do I breathe? It, oh, it's it's a really interesting one, but we've got him missing. Uh, and the bigs we have missing Sam Frolin, Keanu Pindat, and Von Major behind Jock Landell and Nick Chay. Um, Is that how you still see it?
1: Yeah, and the only one that I could see a swing for is the, the Jack White for. Sorry.
0: Yep. So let me be clear here. I've just named 11. I've named 11. And Xavier Cooks, I mean, I, as I said, it didn't quote. I think we're good. Xavier Cooks in. But, but, I think he misses if Ben Simmons becomes available. Uh, and, no. and we need to chat that they can't both be in the team. Um, yeah. Ben Simmons is upside. He's, I don't know, if there's anyone who can get the best out of Ben Simmons with the stage he's at in his basketball life and his life, it's Brian Gordon. Yep. And it's a group, it's the Boomers. And you know what, for that reason, you, you, Paddy Mills, Joe Ingles become vital in that space too. Um, although you'd argue that Paddy Mills wasn't able to get that done this year at Brooklyn either. Um, yeah, to talk us through some of the tough choices in that. If you still agree with that team,
1: yeah, I'd, I'd echo the sentiments that Will McDowell White is probably unlucky in all of this. And like he's coming off a fantastic season, uh, but when you do have the likes of Josh and Dyson, you've you've got a luxury there as it as it stands already. Um, you've got that skill set covered. Yeah, absolutely. And then where um xavier i think excels at the international level will be on the defensive end and his uh, ability to to push so if he is starting the break and what was pleasing with his stint with washington at the end was they used him very similar to the way that sydney used xavier which was using him as a, a big point guard essentially and pushing the ball in transition now if you've got someone like xavier getting into the teeth of the defense early on in transition that opens up shots for Josh Green, Paddy Mills, Joe Ingles going forward, uh, and his ability to switch one through five and, and guard as well. I think there's value there. So if Ben Simmons does come in, he might be the unlucky one. I think it will be a toss-up between him and Jack White and what skill set they actually want uh, so Going forward,
0: because that was the interesting one we didn't chat about on the phone is is Jack White. Let, let's say his swinging doors moments or sliding doors moments, because like Chris, and he found himself in the NBL. Is he MVP caliber?
1: Is Jack, Jack White. White MVP? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think he it, is. But, yeah, he shoots the ball better. Yeah, Jack definitely shoots the ball better. Um, I think that Jack, coming off his Achilles injury, I think he was just starting to find his feet at the back end of the season before he left. Uh, but we saw him put up some big numbers in the the G League uh, this season with uh, the Rapids. <laughs> I mean, I'm the only person that's going to know this is Brian Gorgian at the end of the day.
0: That's why play with more force. Than Xavier Cooks. I know that's a really weird term, but physically impacting a game, physically standing up to again some of those bigger, more physical guys. It does, it does, in, in my mind, I've just got Jack, a, a small amount in front of Xavier, and that physicality element. Again, that's one of the more, the NBL is a lot of things, it's not overly physical on a global scale.
1: The more I think about it, I actually have Xavier slightly ahead of Jack because of Xavier's playmaking ability out of it. So being a defender and playmaker, I think is more important than us than being a defender and potential shot maker. Does that make can sense? You him in the, can, can you have him in the team with Ben Simmons, who's exactly what you just described? Well, this is... He's nah. just going to be a tough choice. It's nice that we can actually have this conversation and say that it's going to be tough because I think for many years, you know, we're talking about 11 and 12 being a ho-hum sort of situation, not for the people in that situation, but we're talking about NBA players that are potentially missing out right. now, which is which is nice.
0: Absolutely. Uh, now, one of the guys, and we'll wrap up, but um, one of the guys in neither of us had making almost under any circumstance, which almost feels like shooting Bambi to say he's Matthew Nellman over. Um, let's not underestimate the impact. You, you speak of the, the impact Aaron Baines had on the was what Daly's done. The impact that Daly's had at the Sacramento Kings as they changed their culture this year. And yeah, but... Of all people, perhaps everyone outside of Steve Nash, Matthew Delavidova has absolutely gotten every bit of talent out of what he was given. And I respect him as much as any basketball player I've come across for that exact reason. Um, We don't have him making it. Um, Yeah, we saw in an NBL environment his shortcomings last time he was at United and he's re-signed there, so we'll see him again very soon. But is there any world or any any situation where you see Daly coming in as a fifth guard to be a mentor to Josh Giddey and D- Dyson Daniels and have that veteran head in case it becomes overwhelming?
1: There is definitely a world that I see that happening um, and very similar to what Mike Brown did at Sacramento and just said De'Aaron Fox couldn't afford to have a bad day at training because if he did, Daly was going to show him show him to the world and expose him and for us we are talking about a lot of new names within this uh, that are going to play key pieces uh, to the boom success going forward and it wouldn't shock me if Delhi got named in this Um, I think from an outsider's point of view we look at the talent that you can assemble and and putting it together but as you know a team if you take a holistic approach to this, maybe Gorge does take him, just to help out a Josh Giddy does help out a Dyson Daniels in this situation going forward. Whether it be an Xavier Cooks or a Jack White, whoever it is, for their first time representing the Boomers on the biggest stage of them all, there is a world where this happens. Regardless, regardless yeah, of is, what we think, I, don't, but, well, I agree. It's, but I don't think it will. Um,
0: we already mentioned um, he's going to get his chance to do that at United. We, we, you had, we won't say who it was. You had a call. You wrote something, and you don't know, like breaking news, but we kind of um, you've had your finger on the pulse a few times, and um, it's going to be interesting to see what Delhi he looks like at United. They go with one import. I've heard of a team go with yeah. The, when I first started, Gorgian promised me if I signed with the Magic, they go with one import, so they'll go with a three-man. That's the only spot they got available to have an import. i will have an all-local team, Aussie and New Zealand, of course, and i uh, will have plenty of insurance if anyone goes down because they'll have two imports up their sleeve, but um, still not sure you can win a championship with only one import, however good your Aussies are. We'll talk about that another time. Well, though, that'll do. As per before, I'm, I'm going to plug it again. If you've got any interest in coming and spending some time with myself, Luke Longley, other greats of the game, June, Friday, June 2nd at uh, Marvel Stadium here in Melbourne. Check yeah, out chrisamstie.com.au forward slash events. It's your opportunity to come and hang out with Work Longley and watch Game 1 or uh, chrisamstie.com.au forward slash tours. If you'd like to jump on an airplane with a whole bunch of people, watch some NBA games and have some fun with myself and uh, some of my NBA black book while, while we're in the United States in November. Well, though, congratulations on your engagement, mate. Thanks, mate. Look forward to seeing you a little bit face-to-face for now. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll speak soon.